I'm going to start reading, and we'll go to Colossians 1. The question that we often wonder is, why did Jesus have to die? That's a question that a lot of people get a lot. As if he was forced to die for us. I think the better, more accurate question we should absolutely ask is, why did Jesus want to die? Not why did Jesus have to die, why did Jesus desire to die? Not why did he do that for us, for, uh, or excuse me, not why did he do that for us to be clean, but why he so loved us that he'd do anything to make our place in the spin of Father, Son, and Spirit secure and unable to be lost ever again. Then, once we ask that question, we must also go a step further and add to that question of what God got from the death of Jesus or what happened because of Jesus or the death of Jesus. We have become experts at trying to figure out why Jesus had to die. But the more I study, the more I realize we've given very little thought to what happened when Jesus actually died. When he said, it is finished, what began? Or I might say, what began again? I've got to move, this is too squeaky. The human race, made in the image of its creator, had slid toward, as Athanasius says, non-existence at the fall. So what moved the heart of God to the incarnation? What made God make the decision for word made flesh and dwelt among us? Was it, and I'm being a little exaggerating, but, you know, was it a bloodthirsty need for punishment? Was it punishment? Certainly not. Now, I need you to listen in right here because this is all just my writing, so I can't, I can't speak this stuff the way I wrote it, which is why I wrote it. I, I don't believe it was punishment at all. Because we were already on the road to death. In fact, according to Ephesians 2.1, we were already dead since the fall. Go read Ephesians 2.1. In our sin, we were dead. So what punishment exceeds death? What punishment could we receive that would be a greater punishment than death itself? Or to cease to exist. What justice is greater than letting us taste the reward for our disobedience, which we were? I suggest it could not, by definition, be punishment or bloodthirst that triggered the incarnation. For we were already punished and on a path toward extinction on our own. That statement undoes 90% of Western theology. Jesus had to go to the cross to take the punishment for our sins. We were already in a punishment for sin. We were going to die. What's greater than death? I mean, seriously. Maybe murder, but even murder, you're still going to die. So if it was punishment, what the Lord should have done was leave us to our punishment. We were already being punished. Read the Old Testament. So it couldn't be punishment. And if it's not, then what sent Jesus into flesh? 
to start, I'm going to read this in Genesis 1.26, and I'm going to break down the, uh, the Hebrew real quick. 1.26 says this, and you don't have to turn there because I'm just going to read one verse. It says, Then God said, Let us, plural. That word God is also plural. But, Then God said, Let us make a man and a woman, this is the passage translation, in our image to be like us. Let us make man and woman, humanity, in our image to be like us. Okay? So God, right there, the Hebrew word is Elohim, and it's plural. Elohim is plural, so Trinity. Okay? Y'all with me? Then God, Father, Son, Spirit, said to each other, and what they said is not just what most translations say is, then God said, let us make man. The Hebrew word translated said right there is all more. And the word means a desire or a desire from the heart. So God didn't just say, it wasn't like, you know, was like, and God said, let us make man. Or it wasn't even telling us what God said. The word said there is really saying the Trinity made a decision from the desire in its heart to make man. Very different. So You know what I'm saying? So, not only that, when it said, let us make mankind in our image, man or woman, man, depending on your translation, the make word is asa in Hebrew. That word means to make, and it also means to maintain. So let me read it in the Hebrew. Then the Trinity said from desire in its heart, let us make and maintain mankind in our image like us. So that's the Hebrew, okay? Now, if you take that statement, that's where we start, that's where we originate. That statement does not fit what most of us have been taught about God. It does not fit what most of us view this as, and it does not fit especially what most of us view the Holy Spirit as. Right? Jesus came to fix our actions. No, Jesus came from the same desire that we originated in. God does not change. It's all throughout the Old Testament. And it says in Hebrews, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God doesn't change. So the desire that you originated from is the desire that you were brought back into. Okay. So we were created not by effort on our part, because we didn't exist, but by sheer desire. Desire spun us out of God's heart and into a human body that was designed to be the resting place in creation for God's image and likeness. We were the accurate picture of who God is. We are, I should say, the accurate picture of who God is. Let us make mankind in our image. When that statement is made, all of a sudden, Adam's role in the creation was when anything in creation looks at mankind, they see the exact image of who God is. So, our existence spawned from God's desire to make and maintain us 
as his perfect image and likeness by way of him giving us his own image and likeness rather than a unique individual image and likeness that we then, because of that, shared in the Trinity itself. What defines the Trinity? If you're defining the Trinity, what defines it? An image and a likeness. Right? Therefore, when God makes the decision to spin us out of that image and likeness, what he did, and this is just a summary of the past few weeks, is he actually brought in another image and likeness of the same kind to share in the same union and in the same unity as the Trinity. He didn't create an individual image. So he didn't say, let us make another image. He said, let us make our image in that. How, how different is that? So, so when God says, I will not give my glory to another, guess what? You and I are not another. Okay. Thanks. <laughs> so the image and likeness is what we now held and what the Trinity held. So if we were included in their eternal dance, created not lower than, but equal to, I'm going to get some flack on that one. That means we were created one with God. And of course, we see this in the New Testament with Jesus. We've been made one with Jesus. We're the body. He's the head. Um, but for some reason, when we use that as relationship between the church and Jesus, and then when you make that relationship between us and the Trinity, for some reason, there is a gaping canyon people cannot cross. If I said we are one with Jesus as the church, no matter what denomination we were in, they would all say amen. If I said we're one with the Trinity, but that's the same thing. Is Jesus not God? Where Jesus is, the Trinity is, they are one. So if we, the church, are one with Jesus, we, the church, are one with the Trinity. Who is we, the church? You and I. Okay. So, so if we were one with God, as we went, so went God, and as God went, so went us. Now, this is before the fall. So the fall did not exclusively distort our image it distorted the new Trinitarian reality created by the Trinity itself that now included us, but at the fall was lost. Us, we were lost. So if a piece of us went missing at the fall, so did a piece of God himself. If in the beginning... We were created separate from God, as people wrongly teach, lower than God, and like Him by our actions alone, there is room to see a God longing to punish and condemn us because, after all, it doesn't really affect Him if we're just another. But if we were created in union, from union, and for union with God, the Trinity itself, we are left with one prerogative for the incarnation, the Word made flesh. The desire 
to make humanity like God with God was the same passionate desire to remake and redeem humanity like God with God. It was to make the Trinity spin whole again with man back in the spin. I've often wondered why everyone can be so passionate about Easter, yet so apathetic the weeks after. You ever think about this? Statistically, Easter is the largest attended service of any Sunday in America. Also statistically, the Sunday after Easter is the lowest attended service of any service of the year in America. We, know, we see this. Well, actually, we don't see this because everybody goes home for Easter. So Easter's our lowest day. But the week after Easter is our biggest day. It was this year. Olivia preached, and we couldn't find enough chairs to fill this room. But <laughs> maybe we should get you up here preaching again. We will soon. But why is that? I've often wondered that. Like, how can people be so excited about Easter and so not excited about God every other day of the year until Christmas? It used to be Mother's Day. Now we don't care about moms anymore. So now it's just like Christmas and Easter, you know? And so when I was growing up, Mother's Day was the biggest day of the year, but, and I don't know where that went wrong. But I, I wonder that. How could we be so passionate about Easter and so not give a rip the weeks after? Now I see that it's thinking that the cross removed our stains alone so that God could be appeased that makes us thankful on Easter with no purpose thereafter. That was a huge statement. How, how could people, people are excited about Easter because that's when our stains were removed. Could y'all go make sure, I don't know what all this is out there, but like, it's driving me insane. So, um, anyway, bring it back. So, if, if our thinking is, is that the cross removed our stains, then once we celebrate our stains being removed, there's nothing going on after that. But if the cross rebirthed us into a dance, Easter is the minimum that we honor the rest of the year. Because now the cross has made way for every single day thereafter for us to be in the dance again. So we show up the next Sunday now having been freed back into the spin of union to see what does it look like now that I've been brought back in. Okay, that's why we say we celebrate Good Friday and everybody mourns and, every, and it, like I love Good Friday and everybody's sad and all that stuff. And then we get Easter and everybody's real excited and everybody goes home, takes off their thousand dollar suits and says, I'm, you know, I'm just go back to lunch. You know what I mean? And it's, it, it is, it is. I mean, it's, a, it's amazing how prophetic we are and we don't even know it. That we buy expensive clothes to look the part on Easter and then don't show up the rest of the year. I'm telling you, that is, that is the, I could get, that's the description of the American church. We look the part and we don't have a clue who we are, God is, or the church is. I, feel, I, got, I got a little, like, little zeal back today. The reality, the reality, however, of the outstretched arms of the Creator on the cross saying, come back into the dance, the fall is finished, gives you eternal purpose. That purpose is to spin out for eternity in a union that only our King could come up with. You were the result of one thing, desire. 
So, why did Jesus want to die? To get you back as you were designed. What did the cross do? Get you back as you were designed. Let me, let me go to Colossians 1. Colossians 1 before I blow up. <clears throat> Colossians 1, and I'm going to start at verse 13. And uh, Colossians is a bad-to-the-bone book. So if you've never read it, it's, it's super short, so there's really no excuse, but it's awesome. So, But I've got some stuff today, and I feel like the Lord's trans... And this is what I was writing last night up late. The Lord's transition, Not transitioning. He's adding another layer to this. And it's now that we're figuring out who God is in light of this love thing, how does that affect our current reality? Is kind of where, where we're adding today, what we're adding. So in Colossians, Paul wrote Colossians, and the reason he wrote this is because, and I'm quoting from the, um, from the Bible uh, commentary that I have. So Paul wrote Colossians because an outside philosophy had come in to disparage their hope, the Colossians' hope, in Christ and to disparage the assurance of their faith. They had started to believe in the devaluing of Christ's supremacy and the adequacy of salvation through Him alone. So they had started kind of backing away from this belief. They were in a similar situation as us where they believed that there was something they needed to achieve by works or rituals to bring salvation's assurance. This is where the church in Colossae was. And Paul writes to them to solidify, and we're about to read this, that Christ brought assurance with him. He not only brought freedom, but also with him he brought assurance of that freedom. There's nothing else that you could do to more assure this salvation through the incarnation, is what he's writing to tell them. So, Colossians 1, I'm going to start at verse 13. I don't remember if I said that, but I think I did. And, uh, and we'll kind of go from there, but I think I'm going to stop after 13 and 14, and then we'll read the rest after that. So, and the, before this is so good, but I just don't have time to go through all of it. So, I'm going to start at verse 13. <clears throat> it says, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Now, let me, let me just break down a couple of Greek words so you can see what this verse is saying. The word rescued means snatched. So very similar. The word from the dominion. So he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness. That word means power, authority, or weight. But here's what really, really uh, got my wheels turning this week. The word for darkness is the Greek word skatos. And the, the meaning of it is actually obscurity. So that word could, could be translated darkness. The accurate translation would be obscurity. Now here's what the word obscurity means, if you don't know. You ready for this? Obscurity means a state of being unknown, hidden, or without form. In verse 14, 
He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness, brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves. Verse 14, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Redemption is the Greek word apalutrosis. Apalutrosis is a really weird Greek word. Anyway, it means a release affected by a payment of ransom. That's what the word redemption means. And then forgiveness, aphiasis, means sending away or releasing. So, if you break down the Greek words, this is 13 and 14 in the Josh translation. It says this. He has snatched us from the powerful weight of being without our designed identity and brought us back into our rightful place, which is the Greek word there, in the kingdom of his son in whom we have liberation through him sending away and removing our fall. So uh, so Paul's not just talking about he removed us from our actions. He sent away our actions. No, Paul's saying he came into our obscurity, lifted us out of our unknowing, and put us back where we were fully known. And this is how he finishes this. 15. Um, excuse me let, me, let me just make a note right here. Let me just make a note right here. The Gentiles, who he's writing this to primarily, were not Jews. It's not a surprise. I think most people knew that. The Gentiles were not Jews. So they had no moral law and obligational covenant to Yahweh. They didn't have the covenant because they were Gentiles. They weren't Jews. Now, I want you to hear this. So if Paul and the early church were simply preaching a good morals or good actions-based theology and gospel, the Gentiles would have had very little desire to engage it. Because they didn't originate in that. So, so if the Gentiles, who halfway don't even know who Yahweh is, maybe have no clue who Yahweh is, because they're not Jews, hear Paul coming in saying, you're really messy, you're really messed up, and if you clean up, you'll get to go to this really distant place in outer space called heaven. The Gentiles are going to look at them and say, no thanks, we got enough gods. Right? And yet, the Gentiles were all brought into this thing. They were dying for it, literally. So the gospel that they were preaching could not have been about morals or actions. And that's not what they were preaching at all. What they were preaching is, this man, Jesus, is God, the Creator, who took on the identity of your obscurity so that you could be joined with Him again in union and be who you were always designed to be fully alive. That will cause the Gentile audience who are following Plato, they're following all these other philosophers trying to figure out how to make the most in life and how to escape this body and get somewhere that's good. If Paul's coming in and saying, no, 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 you're not, you're not trying to escape this. This is actually good. But you didn't know it until Jesus, God who created you, came in the same body and put your obscurity to death, and now you are fully known. There's nothing to escape to. You are perfect the way you are now because of this. Not only that, but he has brought you into the spin in the unity of him himself. 
that will cause a Gentile to say, wait a minute, I need that. Which is exactly why the church was saved. Because that's the gospel. There is no freedom in either, and this is where I got a little zeal back last night, and when, this, when, I, say, when I write late, it's dangerous. So I'm just going to not ask for forgiveness, um, but if needed, I apologize for that, what I'm about to say. There is no freedom in either the traditional gospel of false perfection, no freedom in that, or the megachurch superstar gospel of getting you volunteering and in community but never having a clue who you are. There's no freedom in either. John 8.36 says, before the cross, that the Son alone can set you free indeed. But we're not before the cross anymore. So you can't read this stuff in, like when Jesus, who the Son sets free is free indeed. Of course he's speaking to that as if it's something to come because the cross hasn't happened yet. But we're on the other side of the cross. So now you can look at this verse and say, who the Son has set free is free indeed. It is finished. Twelve steps, a sight blocker and community will not set you free. Only the Son. The problem is, we've replaced the Son-only gospel with the twelve steps, the sight blockers, community, and t-shirts. And that's why nobody's free. No one is healed. Families are divided. Pastors that I talk to all the time want to quit their ministry job. All the time. No one goes to church. Everybody puts activities ahead of church because they're way more important. Nobody tithes 10% or more, and nobody has a secret place. Does that about cover it? And we wonder why the world's in chaos. The church has become a people-pleasing club, and Christians are more lost than a Baptist at a bar. I love all my Baptist friends. That's a good thing, right? I mean, it's, it's a good thing. I couldn't figure out a good saying at the end there. That's the best I could come up with. So, This culture, listen to this. This culture of hype-up TED Talks that rhyme, while we don't have an ounce of a clue who we are, is over in Jesus' name. Let me just say that one more time for everybody watching online. This culture that we have, what are you talking about? Turn on Instagram. This culture we have of hype-up TED Talks that rhyme and sound cool without having an ounce of a clue who we are is over. Yahweh is currently, and if you're not seeing this, it's time to wake up, is cleaning house. This is what's happening. People aren't leaving the church. He's cleaning house. And apathy will not make it anymore. If all of humanity was included in the phrase, it is finished. And all we can come up with because of that is a Sunday a month, the verse of the day, and a portion of our leftovers being given to God. We have never heard or believed in the real gospel. One more time. 
If all of humanity was included, which they were in the phrase, it is finished. And the best we can come up with in response is a Sunday a month, maybe, the verse of the day, and a portion of our leftovers being given to God, we have never heard or believed in the actual gospel. Because when you hear the actual gospel, what we're talking about, it does not cause apathy or religion to rise up in you. It causes your world to change. And if our worlds aren't changing in response to the gospel, it could be that we're not preaching the gospel. We're preaching something that is religious. And just because it looks cool does not mean it's not religious. The most religious things in our culture today look cool and call themselves not religious. Not religious. We're not about religion, man. We're about relationship. No, you're about religion. Because if, if I can make a statement like we're included in the union of the Trinity and people recoil, we've never heard the actual gospel. Because that's the gospel. If you, somebody starts speaking in tongues in a service and people think it's weird, we've never heard the gospel. Dear Lord. What are we talking about? Y'all getting real quiet. I'm serious. Like this, this isn't a game. Like the more the more we have learned, the more I've learned about this love thing, the more I have felt a, a passion and a zeal to make sure that the house of my lover remains pure. It's just if somebody messes with Jordan, you know what I'm gonna do? Bust some heads. I mean, right? You know what I'm saying? That's what I'm going to do. Now I'm kind of sliding into the place right now where when somebody starts messing with my Lord, I'm going to bust some heads. Not literally. Maybe. I don't know. You know, it's good. <laughs> but, but this isn't a game. See, like we, we're playing games in church, and the world's running around like chickens with their head cut off, lost and in chaos because they're looking for what the church is supposed to be offering, and we refuse to offer it because we think it would clear our buildings. It would not clear our buildings. It might clear our bu- buildings of all the fakers. But I promise you it would fill our buildings with all the real ones. Here's the issue. We don't want the real ones. We want the fakers. Because if the real ones come in, then we actually got to do real ministry. <laughs> Am I right? Right? When the gay community comes into the church, all of a sudden we got to do ministry. So instead, we'd rather push them out of the church and keep all the posers in the church because then we don't have to touch it with a 10-foot pole. And yet that's what we're designed to do. He said, I've come to seek and save that which is lost. Why have we slid into the gospel message? I've come to reject what is lost. The gospel has kept me up lately until the early hours of the morning, dreaming of what this city will look like when its people realize that they are not God's enemy and they never were. That they are not separated from God and they never were. <laughs> Lord, 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 Lord. Verse 15. Now, I want you to hear this. This is not Josh, this is Paul. So you can take it up with him if we don't like it. Verse 15. The sun is the image of the invisible God. That word invisible, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of. It's not really accurate. Anyway, the sun is the image of the invisible God, the not seen. The firstborn over all creation. 
Now, you ready for this? In him, all things were created. Things in heaven, on earth, visible and invisible, thrones, powers, rulers, and authorities, all have been created. Now, hear what Paul says. All things have been created through him and for him. All things. Nothing excluded. Now, Paul's saying, if that's not enough, let's take it a step further. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Who's him? Jesus. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. Lord, I could preach so many messages on that verse right there. Maybe next week. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. Father, Son, Spirit, dwell in him. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. I thought the world was bad. Uh-oh. Uh, God was pleased to have his fullness dwell within. Through him he reconciled to himself all things in the world and in heaven. Once you were alienated, man, I'm about to tell you what this means. You were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. You didn't know who you were. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Now, I read that last night and I thought about this. The gospel that you've heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven. That struck me as real odd last night. Paul writes thousands of years before us that the gospel has been preached to every single creature under heaven. How was that? The popular thing right now, I, th- I thought Jesus wasn't coming back until everybody heard the gospel. But Paul says everybody's heard the gospel. Well, he doesn't say heard. He says it's been taught or proclaimed to everybody. What did God do in Genesis 1? I don't even have this in my notes. What did God do in Genesis 1? Let us make man in our image and likeness. Mankind. No stipulations. There was no, if they do this. Let us make man in our image if they do this. If they don't buy, no, no, no. Let us make man in our image and maintain them in our image. So when you look at humanity, you see the image. Whether or not they know that they're the image, you see the image. That's how we were made. He tells Jeremiah, I knew you before you were born. I intimately knew you before you were in your mother's womb. Okay? When Paul writes, the gospel has been proclaimed to every creature, 
I can't prove this. Actually, I probably could. But when he's saying this, what he's saying is, is that this gospel of identity redeemed has been proclaimed to every single creature under heaven. How? Because every single creature that has taken a breath is breathing the gospel. Through what? Through their designed identity. So, verse 15. The word uh, invisible. Uh, excuse me. That Jesus was the image of the invisible God, the not seen. In other words, what he's saying is, is what was once unseen before Jesus, before the incarnation, is now fully seen in the incarnate Jesus and subsequently all of humanity having received the image and likeness again. So that's what he's saying there. He says, all things, all things were created through or are created through him and for him and in him all those things hold together. So because all things were created through and for him, they are also held together in and by him. Y'all, I know it's it's tiring this morning, but y'all just hang with me, okay? Because I'm going to get to some stuff. So Jesus not only came to establish something, which is re-identification of us in the cosmos. He not only came to establish something, but he also holds that re-identification together on our behalf. So, So if he holds it together, only he could undo it, not us. We couldn't possibly undo it because he holds it together. If I'm holding my salvation together, it can absolutely and will definitely be undone. If he's holding it together, there's nothing I could ever possibly do to undo it. This is the gospel. This is why we sing songs like Scandal of Grace. I don't even like that song. But the reason we sing that song and stuff like that is because this stuff does not make sense. It does not make sense how the fall and action caused us to fall into misidentification, and yet an action does not redeem us from that fall. His does. We, that's something we cannot get through our heads, and yet that is the gospel. That God so loved us that he did not say, if you do this and this and this and this, you'll be free from the fall. God so loved us that while we were still in our obscurity, Jesus came as our obscurity so that while we were in our mess, we could be re-identified without any merit on our, on our part. And Paul says, I believe in Ephesians, he says the reason that Jesus did that was so that we could not boast that we got salvation through our works. He, Jesus made sure that there was no way that you or I could ever say we got this. Now why? Because if you and I can never say we earned this, we also can never say we unearned it. So he not only came to establish re-identification of us and the cosmos, but he holds it together. In verse 20, it says he reconciles all things in heaven and earth by establishing, in the Greek, harmony or right standing through his blood. The word reconcile I taught about three weeks ago, I think, and it means equal exchange. It's me taking one thing and exchanging it for something of the same value. What is that? He took the old fallen identity and he traded it with the pre-fallen identity and there was an exchange in us on our behalf. 
That's what it means to reconcile through the blood. So, and then in verse 22 and 23, it says, We've now been reconciled through Christ's physical body through death to present you and I holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If we continue in our faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that we've heard proclaimed to every creature. So, here's the journey that many of us have started, and you will if you have not. You ready? This is where the preaching stuff comes in, and then I'm almost done. So, I wrote 10 pages and thought I'd be here till 1 o'clock, but the Lord just kind of sped me along. Here's the journey many of us have started, and you probably will if you haven't started already. Not only reconstructing who God is and who we are in light of this love Trinitarian revelation, but listen to this, but also getting free from both who God is not and who you and I are not. So not only is the Lord teaching us who He is and who we are in light of the God is love revelation, He's also teaching us who he is not and who you and I are not. Remember, love is not passive. It's with purpose. God does not want you to live to fight another day. This is how many of us live our lives in faith. If I can just make it, I'll be good. God, God does not desire you to live this life where you're just straggling through and make it. And I made it, and I made it, and I made it. And thank the Lord, the anchor holds, though the ship is battered. You ain't messing that song growing up? Lord. None of y'all? Yeah. We used to worship like crazy. The anchor holds, though the ship is battered. I'm like, my ship ain't battered. My sails ain't torn. But, but, but like, right? This is how... Like, Lord, I'm really getting my teeth kicked in, but you're my anchor. What? We wonder why people don't want it. If I'm going to get my teeth kicked in, why am I going to take up my time reading the Bible if I'm going to get my teeth kicked in anyway? You know what I'm saying? So his, his love is not, and his desire is not, wanting you to just live to fight another day. He is desperate for you to come into agreement with reality. What is reality? Adam is dead. And because Adam is dead, for you and I who are in Christ, there is no more fall. Amen. Therefore, it is delusional for you and I to live another moment enslaved to something that is dead. Hello? Y'all with me? It actually is a mockery of the incarnation. The church has not been pushing the gospel. It's been trampling on it. But it starts with us. And right now, the Lord is in the process of seating us and the church at large to see who will be willing to believe the gospel that most have never heard, which is what John, uh, Colossians 1, 16 and 17. This is the gospel. The gospel is, in him all things were created, heaven and earth, visible and invisible, thrones, powers, rulers, authority, all things have been created through and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. That's the gospel. 
Brother, what's the gospel? He forgave my Yeah, he absolutely forgave your sins. But why did he forgive your sins? Because you were designed to be in him. And the way to get you back in him, who is him? The Trinity. And the way to get you back in him was to cancel your sins. But that's not what he was aiming for. He was aiming at you being re-identified. And to re-identify you, your sins had to be taken care of. But for us to stop at our sins being taken care of and never take the journey to re-identification is for us to not believe in the gospel. It's for us to believe in a good message. And Jesus did not come to preach a good message. He came to preach the kingdom. Repent, come to your senses, change what you agree with, because I have brought a kingdom with me that you were designed to be in. I've come to seek and save that which is lost. Here comes the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What sin? The bite. You know what I mean? Y'all with me? So, so for us, what does all this mean? All this means we have now not just got to realize that we are free from the fall, but we've got to start looking at ourselves and say, what about my life is still present in a fallen fall? It's not, it's not enough, Matt, you can come up here. It's not enough for us to just be like, hey amen, the fall is taken care of. That's awesome. See y'all next week. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's not enough. We've got to say, if the fall is taken care of, what does that mean my life now looks like? Like, I'm not enslaved to anything, and neither are you. And if you are, it's a lie because it doesn't exist. If somebody puts a chain, or let me say it like this. If somebody told me I've got a chain around my leg and it's chained to a wall and I'll never be free. But there wasn't a chain and there wasn't a wall. But I still believed because somebody told me this, that I was in shackles and chained to a wall. I would be living strictly out of delusion. It doesn't exist. For us to believe that we are designed to live in anything of Adam is delusional. Does not exist. When you go to the Lord and talk about the fall, he's saying, what fall? What are you talking about? When, well, Lord, you know, you know we're just separated and fallen, you know, sinners saved by grace. What, huh? Sinners? What are you talking about? Saved by grace, absolutely. Sinners, absolutely not. Or else this didn't mean anything. If that's who we are. If, if all we are is, is what one theologian said, uh, snow-covered dung. It's American, of course. If that's, if that's all we are, just, just, we're just nothing. We're just absolutely nothing and lost. But thank the Lord for the blood. The blood. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, the blood, the blood sets you free from being dung, if you want to take that line of thinking. You're not snow-covered dung. You might be snow-covered, but you're a snow-covered son or daughter. He took your robe. When Paul says, my righteousness is like filthy rags, he never meant for that to be a bumper sticker on Christians' cars. Well, brother, you know my righteousness is just like filthy rags. No, no, no. They were, but those rags have been traded for a robe. Your and my righteousness is no longer like filthy rags because we've been made one with he who is righteous. So if our rags are filthy, that, that means his is filthy. 
And if his rags are filthy, we've got a very, very different view of God in the gospel, and we should probably throw everything out and not show up here anymore. But of course, that's not true. You are holy. When he says, you are to be holy as I am holy, what is he talking about? He's not talking about you are to be perfect as I am perfect. He's saying you are to be like me. As I am, you are. You are not to settle for anything other than being who I am. Because you were designed not in an image and likeness, but in my image and likeness. This is radically changing things. So when we look at people who are dealing with all these different issues in our society, if it does not start with this, you will never get it figured out, ever. And this is what our culture is trying to do right now. It's trying to figure out, how do we get people set free from this? How do, and so what we did was instead of trying to take the road down, figuring out how to get people free, we have now transitioned into, well, let's just accept it and we'll never have to deal with it again. This is currently where we are. For a season, it was, let's try to figure it out. But because we were trying to figure it out through a gospel that said all of us were just trash anyway and just as lost as them, we then started creating theology of, well, you know what? That's way too hard. Why don't we start telling people we're getting out of here? And if we can get all the Christians to believe they're leaving, they'll start living better because they're afraid that they're going to get left behind. And all the other people will get left behind. Yay for us. It's 200 years ago. So then we start pushing that gospel. Well, that gospel people have figured out is phony. And so now... Instead of dealing with the root issue, now we have transitioned to, well, you know what? As a church, let's just accept everything. The Lord accepts people. He does not accept delusion. Very different. The Lord does not say, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, and you can hang out with me and carry it all your life. He says, come to me and I'll give you rest. How am I going to give you rest? I'm going to take all the stuff that's weighing you down and I'm going to give you my load, which is light. So he calls people into the fold, not as they are. He calls them into the fold so that he can tell them who they are. So we as a church are called to do two things. We're called to make sure that this is home for every single human being on planet Earth, number one. Number two, we have failed if this is home and we don't tell people who they really are. Which means there's going to be people that come in here that deal with X, Y, and Z. And we're going to have to have conversations of why this is not who you are, but this is who you are right here. Fearfully and wonderfully made. I was, uh, I was listening to a, uh, I'm going to read a quote and then we'll be done. I, I was listening to a, a conversation that a pastor was having with um, somebody in a certain lifestyle. It doesn't matter. And, um, and anyway, in this conversation... Um, the guy said that was, that was kind of living this, this lifestyle, ungodly lifestyle, whatever you want to call it. In the conversation, the guy said that he tried church, but when he went in the church, he thought everybody was looking down on him because of what he was living in. So he left the church. And the whole conversation was a, was a debate about why he actually is wrong and why he should just get over it and come back to church. That's kind of the, the conversation. And, um, and as I'm listening to this, I had the thought that what if instead with my daughter, when she does something wrong, she doesn't believe it's wrong. 
a lot of times she'll do something that she believes is right, but Jordan and I know is actually not right for her. And so when we go to her and say, Veda, you can't do this, or this isn't who you are, or whatever, she kicks back against that because she believes it is who she is and what she should be doing because she's a kid. And so the way that me and Jordan respond is by slowly walking her through the explanation of why this isn't who you are and talking it out and getting to the place where she can see, you know what, that logic lines up with actual truth. Truth. And I'm like, what, what if in the church we got to the place where not only did we deal with our people like this, but everybody else, where when they come in, we are so loving like the image of God that is love that it causes them to want to hear the words of who they really are without feeling hate in it. Somehow Jesus went to the woman at the well and told her everything she had ever done and she felt loved. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, if I go to a woman on the street right now and say, I know you've been sleeping around, she's going to probably flick me the bird and walk off. Right? Somehow Jesus goes to this woman and says, I know every single thing that you've ever done. And she leaves so full of love that she goes to tell everybody else to come see a man that told her everything she's ever done. Like, how is this possible? It's because there is a way to respond to our culture in truth that tells them that God is love, not hate. And I think the first thing that we've got to do to see this is for us to be convinced that he's love, not hate. I said this Tuesday night, when Jesus washes the disciples' feet, he, he transitions them from love your enemy, love your neighbor as yourself, to love others as I have loved you. Y'all, I mean, y'all, that's, you know what I'm saying? So I'm going to read a, a quote real quick and then we'll be done. This is Athanasius, become one of my favorites. He says this, early church father, about 250 BC, give or take. He says, the indwelling of the word loosed it from the natural, from this natural ability, which is death, the body natural ability, so that corruption could not touch it. Thus, it happened that two opposite marvels took place at once in Jesus. That death of all was consummated in the Lord's body. Yet, because the word was in it, death and corruption were in the same act utterly abolished. Death there had to be and death for all so that, excuse me, so that the due of all might be paid. Wherefore the word, as he said earlier in this book, whereat, wherefore the word being himself incapable of death assumed a mortal body that he might offer it as his own in place of all and suffering, listen to this, suffering for the sake of all through his union with it might be done away with. And that he might bring to naught, bring to nothing, him that had the power of death, that is, the devil, and might deliver them, us, who all their lifetime were enslaved by the fear of death. This is, this is what the early church believed about the gospel, that this undid the devil. It not only undid Adam, it undid the devil. 
which is why they can walk around casting out demons like they're just flicking, flicking boogers everywhere. How can they do that? Because the devil's done. Do we, is that how we respond to darkness, obscurity? Do we respond by, by making this darkness a Goliath that, boy, I don't know if I'm going to make it through it? Or, because that's delusional, just to be clear, or do we respond to obscurity and say, you, my friend, don't exist. So I'm going to come back into alignment with reality, which is he does exist, and because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future, life is worth the living just because he lives. That's a great song. I wish we'd sing that one. Verses aren't so much, but chorus is good. So um, I, I, I'm going to pray, and as I pray, I want to do this. The Lord is re-identifying us right now. And if you were here Tuesday night, you heard that many times. But he is completely re-identifying our church right now in the best way for us to, to fully know our DNA as a church. Because we're still young. We're four years, not even four years into this, are we? Almost four years into this. And, um, and yeah, and so he's right now, I feel like, just inscribing who we are in our identity. And I told the Lord this week, Monday, I think it was, but I said, Lord, why couldn't you give us this love stuff in 2017 and let us build everything off of that? And, I, and I, as I was praying, praying over this, I, I just felt the Lord whisper that if we had started talking about this stuff in 2017, our church would not exist today. I don't think anybody was ready for this in 2017. I think it took a long season of us taking step by step by step. You know, one of the first messages I, t- I taught on in 2017, some of y'all were, well, three of y'all were here. Um, the fir- one of the first messages I taught was, do you trust me? I don't know if anybody remembers that. That was one of the first ones, do you trust me? And so he started us out, and he's literally saying like, hey, I'm about to take you on a journey. I just need to know if you trust me to do it. And we moved from that into Song of Songs, and then we just took this journey into now where he's finally able to unleash what he's wanted to unleash all along, which is, let me tell you who I really am. And let me tell you who you really are. It's awesome. That's how the Holy Spirit works. Amazing. Let me say this too before we go. Um, some of you, because of this, we don't talk about this a lot, um, are going to face it. I think, over the next summer. I think September is really, really important for our church. I don't know why. I just see that. But I'm just telling you right now, over the next summer, some of y'all that are part of the family, which is basically everybody in the room, are going to face it. And the reason is, is because the enemy, who is, just like I said, absolutely nothing in my opinion. He's getting annoying, if I'm being honest with you. But the enemy's trying his best to keep us from this. And I, and I, I think... I think a lot of us are about to face some of this temptation to stop too soon. I think some of you are about to face some temptation in many different ways to stop way too soon. And I'm telling you right now, as a spiritual father, as an apostolic voice in this house, do not stop. 
Do not quit. Keep going. I don't care if you have to tarry in the secret place day after day after day after day after day after day feeling like you haven't heard a word. Keep showing up and do not stop. Do not stop. Because if we will not stop, this is a prophetic word. You can write this down. You can do whatever you want with it. If we do not stop, come the fall, we're going to see things that none of you and I have ever dreamed of seeing. I told, I'm dreaming of people walking in the doors. I said this Tuesday. Walking in the doors, not even knowing they have a sickness and leaving healed of something they didn't even know they had because of the presence of the Holy Spirit being so explosive in this room. That some of you have been praying for spiritual gifts and you have been waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, just keep going. It's coming. I think the Lord's going to bring some voices into this that haven't been here yet to help steward this. I mean, it's, it's, the Lord's just doing some amazing things. So um, I do want to say, before we pray, uh, is there anybody in the room that you just have something like, like that you need healing over? Um, I just felt like we needed to pray over that today. So it could be physical. It could be well, any, any way, any kind of healing. Yeah, Tim, y'all just come up here. This is you, Lauren. Um, how are you guys feeling? Y'all feeling good? Now? You good? Okay. No, you weren't feeling too good the other day, so anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Lauren, you come up here. Anybody else? Sick. If you're praying online, watching online, this is for you too. Could y'all just like wrap just kind of put your hands on these guys right here? Yeah. And we're just gonna all pray together. Because if Adam's done, then everything that went along with Adam's also done. And it ain't, it ain't going to live here anymore. So let's all pray. Lord, I pray over Lauren and Tim right now and anybody else online that maybe I don't know. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would just heal what needs to be healed. I pray right now, blood sugar, that you would come into alignment with its true identity right now. I pray that all these levels would come into alignment with the Word of God. I pray that concussion symptoms, I pray that headaches would come into alignment with the Word of God and that healing would begin to flow through both of these guys and anybody else in the room that needs it. Lord, I pray that we will be a people that are whole and healthy and full and full of a peace that passes all understanding that if you took the cross, we don't have to take any more. And so, Lord, we thank you for that in advance. We thank you for moving in these situations. And Lord, we're going to start seeing testimony after testimony after testimony of what you are doing in all these different aspects of our lives just because of us knowing who you are and what you've done. And so we thank you for it. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.